If you're looking for a case study in how net zero emission goals are reshaping the economy, cement is a pretty good place to start. Cement's the glue that holds concrete together and it's the second most widely used building material in the world after water. It also accounts for about 7% of global carbon emissions. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to David Perkins, Vice President of Communications and Government Affairs at Heidelberg Materials, who traveled from Texas to Alberta last week, where his company plans to build the first net zero emission cement facility in the world at a cost of about $1.36 billion. I asked Perkins how exactly a cement company can afford that, and the answer in part is that they'll generate carbon credits by capturing CO2 that they hope to be able to sell to other industrial emitters. Heidelberg is also devising other ways to make cement less carbon intensive. And that's good because cement has been around in different forms for thousands of years, and its demand is expected to grow in the next few decades. As always, this interview was edited for clarity and brevity. David, thank you so much for coming on Down to Business to talk to me today. Thanks, Gabe. Great to be with you. Well, so I think your announcement last week may have flown under the radar, but Heidelberg Materials is proposing to build a $1.36 billion a carbon capture facility that's going to capture a million tons of CO2 by the time it's built, which is, should be around 2026. Can we just start with the basics? Can you tell me what this facility is, what you're constructing? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's really exciting because it's going to be the first of its kind full-scale carbon capture in the cement industry in the world. So we're, we're obviously very thrilled about this project. But in essence, it's going to be a facility that will be designed to take all of the carbon dioxide emissions from the cement making process, uh, as well as we're going to be putting in a combined heat and power facility, which is going to generate both power and electricity to help run the system. And so those two sources that will combine to capture all of the carbon dioxide emissions from the processes, and it'll, it'll uh, capture and store approximately a million tons per year, which is, again, the largest uh, single amount captured and stored in the cement industry. Okay. Just to, to back up and understand this, though, so you have an existing cement facility in Edmonton, which is what, one of your biggest in North America? Uh, it's, a, it's a large facility. It's been manufacturing cement since the mid-1950s. We ship cement uh, not only into Alberta, but all around the region and into the prairies. So it is a, it is a significant uh, producer and an important part of the marketplace. We operate, all told, in North America, 13 vertically integrated cement production facilities. We have three in Canada. And we felt that this facility was really the best located, not only because of the space that we have to construct the facility, but again, because of the importance that it has to the uh, not only the Alberta marketplace, but really the Edmonton marketplace as well. So one question I had for you, I mean, well, so I want to get into a lot of things. I want to get into like how you finance this, what, how you're capturing this carbon, because people always say cement is one of these hard to abate sectors. I also, though, before we do that, just want to back up a second and stick to the basics. What cement is and what this facility does in terms of like, what are the CO2 being generated by that you're capturing? Yep, absolutely. And, and that kind of comes into your question about being a hard to abate sector. So making cement is obviously, it's very energy intensive. And so what we basically have to do is we mine primarily limestone. Limestone is the main raw ingredient that goes into the cement making process. And cement is the 
actually comes into concrete, which is the second widely most utilized building material in the world next to water. So obviously, this building material is critical, uh, critical for all kinds of infrastructure, like highways and bridges and skyscrapers. But it's also sidewalks, it's driveways, it's home foundations, it's schools, it's anything that you can imagine that requires concrete, which is just about everything. But what we do is we take limestone and we blend it with sand, silica source, as well as an alumina and an iron source. And we, we create new minerals basically by heating them up to these very high temperatures. So just to give you some perspective, uh, in order to make these new minerals with this process, we actually have to heat the gases up inside the kiln system to approximately 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about one-third of the temperature of the surface of the sun. So very energy-intensive. So when we make when we make cement, we generate carbon dioxide really from two sources. One of those is from the fuel that we utilize to get these temperatures of these gases to where they need to be. The second is that chemical process, and that's really kind of where the hard to abate term comes. That chemical process is taking the carbon dioxide and driving it away from the limestone. So we take calcium carbonate, we drive off carbon dioxide to create lime, which then combines with these other minerals to make ultimately what becomes cement. I see. And so it's actually the process of separating the CO2 out of the chemical structure that creates the CO2. That's exactly right. And there's no other way, as I understand it, to really create cement except taking out the CO2 from some of these chemicals. That's exactly right. That is that is the necessity of making cement, as we call it, the chemical fact of life. And so if you look at the profile of emissions from cement making, you have about 30 to 35 percent of those CO2 emissions coming from the combustion process. And then you have the remaining about 65 percent coming from that chemical conversion process. So obviously, it's a large portion of that CO2 emission profile is this chemical uh, reaction that we call calcination or the chemical fact of life. And that's really where we're targeting this. We recognize that this is this is the area that we're going to need to do some things in terms of the carbon capture project to be able to address those emissions. Right. So, I mean, as you said, concrete isn't going away um, and you have to capture that CO2. So you're building a $1.36 billion facility that can capture the CO2. Cement industry is not oil and gas industry. It's not nearly as profitable. How are you going to finance that? Like, how do you make money off that? That's a great question. Well, first and foremost is Heidelberg Materials um, as a global company. We have a commitment. Uh, We are going to, by 2030, have captured 10 million tons of CO2 through a variety of carbon capture projects, this Edmonton project being one of the flagship ones. And we're certainly uh, looking to be innovative and and making as much progress as we can and then scaling that progress up across uh, our, our facilities and our operations and ultimately for the benefit of the broader cement industry. In terms of the actual financing, number one, uh, so we are going to be making financial investments as a company in carbon capture projects. And so we've got about $1.5 billion across our organization over the next several years where we're going to be making that investment on our own. And part of that is, is we've got some financing bonds that are tied to our CO2 performance. And so those bonds perform and they pay the investor based on how well we perform against our CO2. So we are financially kind of obligating ourselves in, in that regard. The other key piece, and, and this is really where we've had some great success, and we certainly expect more going forward, but is the partnerships that we have with the government of Canada, as well as the government of Alberta, uh, and other local stakeholders as well. 
We, uh, as we announced earlier this last week, we have got an MOU uh, between us and the Ministry of Innovation, Science, and Economic Development, where their uh, Net Zero Accelerator will be helping to support a portion of the funding for the project. So that's going to be a key piece. And then recently, the budget was released, the federal budget, and there's a, a program that's called the Investment Tax Credit. And this Investment Tax Credit, or ITC, is going to provide some help uh, offset that cost of construction as well. So those are going to be two key components for us that we are going to need in order to construct the facility and to get it up and running. Uh, the other part is really going to be down the line, and that is, is once it's up and running, we're going to be generating credits. And so what we're going to need uh, is we're going to need some certainty once we have this project up and running as we capture this 1 million tons of CO2 each year. We're going to need some some certainty about what those credit prices are going to be because we're going to be able to monetize uh, those credits and certainly have them be available on the open market. And as projections have shown, that price uh, by 2030 is going to be around $170 per ton. And so uh, we are utilizing that to build a financial model that helps us to basically make that return that is reasonable uh, to be able to move forward with the project. And so we're calling that some, the guarantee, the carbon contract for difference. And that's that's a piece that we're continuing to work on with the government of Canada. Right. Everyone in Canada, oil and gas industry too, is saying we need these carbon contracts for differences. So if a new government comes in and says we're going to wipe out the carbon price, it won't matter in a sense because there will be these contracts with the government where if some new government or same government says, actually, instead of 170, we're only going to do 100. Companies like you that have invested a billion dollars thinking that they're going to be able to trade these credits, the government will be on the hook to pay them the difference of what they owe them. Or as I understand it, you guys may be on the hook to pay the government more potentially if the price is above 170 and you're making more money than you anticipated. That is exactly right. Yeah, that's that's the value of this is because it creates the certainty. The government has the potential. Again, if these credit prices go above that agreed amount, then we obviously will be remitting that back into the government to pay that difference. So it does create some ability to manage that variability over the future. This is the genius of the carbon tax. If it ever worked the way people want it to is that you cannot just treat the atmosphere as somewhere you can just put CO2. You, everyone becomes responsible for that and the government starts charging you for how much you put in. And then another cement industry that hasn't invested this is going to come to you and they're going to need to buy those credits from you, essentially. Those are the credits you're talking about trading in the future. That's correct. Yep, absolutely. Okay. And the investment tax credit you mentioned, that was in the budget that says if you invest in a facility, we'll pay, I forget what the percentage is, but basically the capital cost of building it, the government will allow you to write off onto your taxes. That is correct. And, and so what we're doing is if we're looking at the ITC, which is a, is a 50%, uh, right around in that range, 50% of the capital cost is potentially um, available through this ITC. Uh, and then we're working with, again, with the Strategic Innovation Fund, the Net Zero Accelerator, that has got a, a percentage potential of, of about 20 to 25 percent. There's going to be a, a, a limit, a, a stackable limit of 75 percent of total government funding that will be available for the construction, the capital cost of this equipment. And so that's what we're seeking. And so we're certainly looking at any any number of different combinations that allow us to get to that level. But that's really that threshold that we're looking for to be able to, to move forward with the project. And of course, we're working with the uh, the province of Alberta as well. 
you know, the, the ability for them to help also invest. You know, they helped to kickstart this project back uh, with ERA uh, with a grant back in 2019 as we began the front-end engineering and design study. So, you know, we certainly want to continue to partner with them, and we feel like there are some great opportunities for them to also kick in some financing that helps to get us to that 75% threshold that will help us to move forward with the project. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. One question I always wonder is like, are you planning on getting a premium for this cement rather? Like, will people pay more for this because the cement is carbon free? You know, the the exciting thing about this project is, is we will have the first net zero cement in the sector. You know, we've got other projects that we're doing that will that will capture a portion of the CO2, but this will be the first fully net zero cement available uh, in the world. And so, yes, we do. We feel like there is significant value there because we've been working with partners, uh, whether these are architects and engineers, building owners or project owners, uh, and they've been saying, look, we, we have these commitments as well. We're making commitments that these structures that we build are going to be net zero and net zero embodied and then net zero operational carbon. And so one of the opportunities that we have with this being a first mover is to really to transform the marketplace to providing this unique, durable, you know, net zero material that can be used for construction projects and that ultimately we feel uh, will, uh, will allow us to have a premium for that because of the uniqueness of the product. Right. I mean, it's interesting because most of the time what you hear about are companies saying, look, like so far we haven't seen that that premium will emerge or that premium will be so big that it'll pay for the extreme cost of building a carbon capture facility. And you guys have somehow gotten over this. I mean, you mentioned there's these green bonds you have where basically you were able to raise money at a good price, I imagine, based on sort of making this commitment to investors that you're going to improve CO2. So there was some portion of the investment community that was willing to put faith in this. Yep. At the same time, like 1.36 billion, and what I've been told is like you can build a couple cement facilities in some low-cost jurisdiction, not Canada or North America, for that price. That's absolutely right. Yeah, the capital cost for these first-mover projects is significant. And that's why having the support of the government of Canada and the province of Alberta is essential for us to bringing this technology uh, to bear and, and to be utilized in the cement sector. Ultimately, what we are hopeful for is that this application will not only allow us to capture and be the first fully net zero carbon neutral cement plant, but what it'll do is it'll it'll give us that that knowledge base that we can then scale to other facilities and ultimately drive costs down. You know, so ultimately de-risking and and making the implementation of this technology uh, to a to a way where it is not as high cost. And as you know, as technology develops, you know, obviously these first uh, these first of a kind uh, types of applications typically are going to be higher uh, in the cost range. But as time goes on, that cost tends to go down. And that is that is what we seek. And certainly as we as we use the learnings uh, and as we use the information that we gather from this project, you know, we'll be able to certainly transfer that to other projects that we have across the world. 
and ultimately optimize that to where it can be something that will be uh, a part of our ongoing operations, which certainly is, is a necessity. And as mentioned before, uh, being a hard to abate and recognizing that this is a key lever in our overall decarbonization strategy, uh, we feel very optimistic about what we can do with this technology. And to be clear, right, cement is not the same thing as concrete. I mean, you have to transport the cement to the construction site, which involves a lot of big, heavy trucks, most of which are not electrified at this point and may not be for a number of years. And so you can't yet completely reduce the carbon footprint of the final product, right? Well, ultimately, we can. And, and, and you have a great point. You know, cement is the, is the key ingredient that goes into concrete. And as the binder is the glue that basically holds all of the other materials together, the aggregates, you know, the stone, the sand that goes into the concrete. Uh, as well as getting it to the to the marketplace, getting it to the job site ultimately certainly requires transportation. But if you are looking at the overall CO2 profile, the largest portion of the CO2 intensity of concrete does come from that manufacturing uh, of the cement. So that cement process is really the highest portion of the CO2 emissions. Uh, but you're right. You do you do have other emissions that come with transporting material to the ready mix facility to the concrete facility, and then taking uh, from the concrete facility to the job site, you have uh, CO2 emissions that are also associated with that. And so what we ultimately are also looking at, and this is another part of our overall strategy, is concrete actually, it actually wants to bring CO2 and, and, and bind it back to itself. So concrete in operation actually provides a natural carbon sink as well. So what we're doing now is we're doing some initial evaluations, but we're seeing that 15% and potentially as high as even closer to, to 50 to 60% of the CO2 that's generated from the production actually is reabsorbed into concrete over its life. Of course, that depends on surface area and the exposure that it has to the atmosphere. But with that measurement, you could actually create a material that is either in its use is either net zero or even potentially net negative. Hmm. Potentially net negative. I mean, it's like a mixed bag, right? Because we know we're emitting too much. So if you say like, actually, just by making this product, it takes some out of the atmosphere. I mean, that's already accounted for, but it's, I guess, ultimately good because we can keep using concrete. I was, I was going to ask you, I mean, I think there's something like 1,100 cement facilities in Canada, but it doesn't seem realistic that all of those are going to install a billion dollar CO2, you know, capture process. I mean, I imagine one reason why you did it in Alberta too, is I've heard the geology there is very suitable for storing CO2. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the Wabamum hub, which is the area that we're looking to transport the CO2 uh, in partnership with Enbridge is very well suited for saline uh, storage for storage of CO2. That's what you're going to do with it, right? You're going to put it underground. Correct. And, okay. Yep, it'll be it'll be stored permanently. And just to clarify, the the cement production itself is actually fairly uh, capital intensive, and so there are only a handful of actual cement production facilities in Canada. But the ready mix facilities—that's where the cement is, is shipped, and then the the stone and the gravel, and then ultimately it gets to the marketplace. Those are where you get into that 1,100 or so number of facilities in in all told and I don't know the exact number but in Canada I believe there are, are approximately five or six cement plants total and so the remainder of those all those other facilities are ready mix uh, concrete facilities where the cement is shipped to 
So it's kind of like a, a an analogy, I guess, of like the car manufacturing plant, and then you have the dealerships. That's kind of a, a similar analogy. You've got the cement manufacturing facility, and then you've got the ready mix concrete facilities that ultimately distribute it into the marketplace. I see. And so, but not all of these can do what you're doing, right? And so I guess that that's what I'm wondering. It's like, you guys are planning to capture, is it like 95% of the CO2 emissions from your plant in Edmonton, your cement plant? That's correct. Yes, 95% is the design. And that will that will not only capture all of the CO2 from the, the cement manufacturing facility, but as I mentioned earlier, we have what we call a combined heat and power facility that we're going to be putting in place as a part of the system. And that combined heat and power will create the uh, electricity as well as the steam that is necessary for the carbon capture process. So that will actually generate CO2 as well. We'll be capturing all of those emissions and generating uh, pretty much carbon-free electricity as a part of this project. I see. So it's obviously a wonderful project. It just makes me wonder, though, about the future of the cement industry. You know, there's talk about replacing, you know, using more mass timber. I guess that's really going to replace more like steel and things like that rather than concrete. There, What is the future of cement and concrete, given that not everyone can, is going to be able to afford or not everyone is going to choose to sort of make the bet that you're making? Well, our hope is, is ultimately that through a variety of different levers, including carbon capture, that we will be able to reach net zero. And, and as you mentioned, uh, there are going to be a, a variety of different ways that we can do that with concrete. So not only will we make cement that has net zero attributes, but we're going to be broadening and expanding our use of other supplementary cementitious materials. And we're going to be optimizing our concrete mix designs to lower that embodied carbon through utilizing materials such as fly ash, granulated slag, uh, silica fume, and other types of materials that impart cementitious properties into the concrete so that you can lower the amount of cement. So there are a whole host of new technologies that we're looking at, new materials that we're looking at and optimizing mix designs to be able to to lower the embodied concrete carbon footprint of that concrete. Uh, we also are looking at using other materials such as limestone and integrating that into the finishing process. And then another piece of that is just the design optimization. We can optimize the size of the concrete placement that is needed for the construction. So I think those are a lot of things that are going to be looked at that are going to help to utilize concrete even more efficiently and more effectively. But ultimately, concrete, it's durable, it's resilient, it's fire resistant, it stands up over over long periods of time, and it's 100% recyclable. All those attributes, I feel, are going to have concrete being an integral and very important role in, uh, in construction and in society as we go forward over the next decades. I see. But just on a very simple level, is cement usage going to grow, decline, or stay the same, say, by 2050 when we go net zero? Yeah, by 2050, it's going to continue to grow. When you look at the global demand, just you look at the level of construction that's necessary in a lot of these major urban centers, that demand is, is only going to grow. And so our obligation is, is to optimize how best we utilize the cement production that we currently have by supplementary cementitious materials, optimizing mixed designs, and then optimizing our construction strategy. But there's no doubt that we're going to see an increased demand and an increased need for durable and resilient infrastructure as we move forward in the next several decades to 2050. You know, obviously there's climate variability. So the ability to construct 
our cities and design our cities to be more resilient to climate variation. That's going to be a key piece. And, and really, frankly, cement and concrete play probably one of the best, if not the best roles in, in providing that. Fascinating. One question that always comes up is recycling. Like, you know, in, I look where I live in Toronto and because of the way the city is zoned, you see skyscrapers getting torn down so that they can build new skyscrapers. Maybe they're redesigned from office to residential. There's different things happening there that are driving that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of concrete that also gets thrown away. And I know some of it gets recycled, but where are we at in the recycling stage? That's a key part of our lever is, no pun intended, to close that loop to the circular economy. One thing about concrete is, is that once its useful life in a structure or in a road is over, it can be crushed and it can be screened and it can be reutilized and it is 100% fully recyclable. And so we as Heidelberg Materials have moved into this space and have begun to develop facilities that bring in uh, concrete that has been crushed and has been removed from a project, removed from a structure. And basically what we're doing is we're, we're crushing it and we're screening it and then we're utilizing it in a variety of different ways. One way that it can be utilized is, a, is as an aggregate. It can be used in concrete as, an, as a replacement for raw material aggregates, such as limestone and, and other, other stone that goes into concrete. So that's one great application. And then the fine powder that is also generated through that crushing and through that screening and through that recycling, that powder can be separated and it can be utilized in the, either the cement making process or it can be blended as a supplementary cementitious material back into concrete. And then the final piece that is really exciting, I think, is the ability to take crushed concrete. And ultimately, as I mentioned before, concrete wants to reabsorb CO2. That is, that is just chemically what it, is, it desires to do. And so if we crush it into a fairly small size, and then we basically put in what we call enforced carbonation and, and put a, a wave of CO2 gas over that concrete, it will reabsorb a good quantity of that CO2 and bind it permanently back into that concrete. So this enforced carbonation allows us to accelerate that process and ultimately drive more CO2 back into that product. So there are a number of exciting things that I think are are great opportunities. And we're certainly looking at the large, large metro areas where this is really well suited, where there's a big density of construction and obviously demolition that comes with that. That's fascinating. I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to me about this. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's an exciting time, an exciting project, and I think we've got some great uh, opportunity in the future. That was David Perkins, Vice President of Government Affairs and Communications for North America at Heidelberg Materials. Thank you for listening to Down to Business and supporting our show. The original music was composed and performed by Bryce Hall, who executive produced this episode and designed this show's logo. Pamela Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells provided web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll return with more episodes of Down to Business. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.